Value Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and a very warm welcome to the Asian Banker Leadership Achievement Awards and Dialogue Ceremony 2022. I'm Cheryl Miles, and I will be presenting to you your awards later on today. The Asian Banker Leadership Achievement Awards program is widely acknowledged by the financial services industry as the highest possible accolade available to professionals in the industry as recognized in the Asia-Pacific, Middle East, and Africa regions today. While the Leadership Achievement Awards ceremony is taking place virtually this year, we are looking forward to celebrating your achievements in person very soon, hopefully by 2023. Even though we may not be in the same room, we feel your excitement and anticipation as we kick off this afternoon's events. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the opening remarks, please give a warm welcome to the president of the Asian Banker, Mr. Fu Bunping, and International Resource Director of the Asian Banker, Mr. Matthew Welch. Thank you, Cheryl, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. A very warm welcome to the Leadership Achievement Awards Ceremony 2022, incorporating the Regulation and Supervision Awards. I'm very excited to co-host this event with Matthew Welch, our International Resource Director, and together we'll be moderating the CEO Leadership Virtual Dialogue. And a very warm welcome to our International Council of Advisors and Mr. Gordon Gaeta, who will be part of the Leadership Dialogue. Today, we're recognizing Chief Executive of Banks for their visionary leadership, for their efforts in fostering a culture of digital innovation, for bolstering organizational resilience and maintaining balance sheet performance and strength as well as for their pivotal role in shaping their organizations and the industry for a more sustainable future. We are also recognizing the best central bank and best regulator in Asia Pacific for systemic and prudential regulation. And lastly, we're recognizing an industry veteran and stalwart for his career achievements and contributions to the financial industry. We're into the third year of living with COVID-19 pandemic. While we have become better at protecting ourselves from its worst effects and borders are reopening, a sense of normality is at last returning. Still, we are exciting some caution and are holding this virtual this event virtually. And for the leaders gathered here today, the past three years have been un, an unprecedented time of disruption and change that has thoroughly tested and honed your leadership and tested the resolve and resilience of your organizations. The pandemic has changed things for the better and for the worse. For the better, the accelerated pace of digitalization and innovation has brought home the point that the future is digital. It has enabled us to automate, scale, and personalize at a level and with a speed never seen before. But for the worse, aside from the human cost, it has also caused supply-side shocks and perpetuated the easy monetary and financial conditions that are driving the inflationary pressures that we're suffering from today. Beyond the immediate effect of inflation and its threat to economic growth, other significant uncertainties and risks persist. We are still far from coming out of the woods. Beyond a trend of a lingering COVID resurgence, Geopolitical tensions are elevated across the world, in East Europe and closer to home across the Taiwan streets. At the same time, 
There are fundamental issues with our current state of globalization, as why in a bifurcated and increasingly polarized world that threatens the sustainability of global supply chain and trade, whether for our energy, our food, or for other resources that our livelihood or even lives depend upon. These are macro and complex issues that we have no easy answers to, but which the leaders gathered here today are being confronted with. There are strategic risks that you and your boards have to be alert to, because often they also precipitate the black swan events that make or break not only organizations, but entire industries and even economies. On a more micro and familiar level, as bank CEOs, you also have to deal with the constant challenges of building and operating a high performance organization for growth. You have to comply with regulation and you have to win out over the competition. These are the challenges. Against this backdrop, we want to discuss the prospect of the banking industry as we move from COVID pandemic to COVID endemic. How will bank business and operating models change due to digitalization and competition from non-bank financial institutions and fintech and DeFi players. The impact of disrupted supply chains, increased commodity prices, higher inflation, as well as rising interest rates on businesses. How are you developing and training human capital for a sustainable and digital future? We want to share your story, the experiences and lessons that you have learned as you responded to the challenges you have faced. So the questions we want to consider, uh, what do you consider as the biggest and most difficult challenges over the past three years? And what lessons have you drawn from it? We hope that you'll also help us make sense of some of the longer term impact and significance of these transformational issues and how they've helped to clarify your own business focus and your strategic priorities. Now we will uh, have the chairman of TAP Global, Mr. Emmanuel Daniel, who's currently in the US, Good morning, Emmanuel Edi, uh, to say a few words. Good morning, everybody. Um, and yeah, it's 4 a.m. here. Um, I want to say uh, a few words uh, that puts into perspective uh, some of the changes that are taking place in TAP Global, uh, which is the owner of the Asian banker, uh, TAP being the original name, uh, the Asian banker. We now have a, a suite of uh, uh, products and services, including wealth and society, which is uh, which is um, focused on uh, ultra high net worth individuals and their impact on society. Uh, the focus is not on wealth, but on uh, on the impact on uh, on the sustainability of society as a whole. Um, one of the nice things that I've been able to do in the last two years or so. Uh, has been to extradicate myself uh, from the daily running of the business uh, of the, the Asian banker. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Fu Bunping and his team uh, for uh, doing a great job in holding the organization together. Uh, I'm very, very pleased to inform all of you uh, that uh, I'm on the verge of having my first book published. Uh, can we have the book uh, on the screen, please? Uh, the publisher has just uh, confirmed uh, the book cover. So this is the cover of the book. Uh, the title of the book is The Great Transition. The personalization of finance is here. Uh, 
writing this book has been an incredible journey for me. Um, some of you will have known me for years from the time I started The Asian Banker in 1996. Uh, and because my journey is closely intertwined with yours, uh, it has been difficult for me to extradicate myself from the industry as a whole. And in fact, from the countries and regions that I've got very close relationships with, uh, Singapore, China, uh, all of Southeast Asia, uh, and so on. And, and then in more recent years uh, in, in the Middle East and so on. So I'm actually very uh, intimately aware of the aspirations of the regulators, of the leading um, bankers in the, in the region, including some of you who are here today. Um, and uh, I needed to take myself out of the picture uh, and look at the industry as a whole. Uh, and the conclusions that I've come to uh, in taking that journey has resulted in this book. Uh, the great transition is not just about the transitions taking place in finance, uh, but also the transitions taking place in technology and perhaps most important of all in society, even at the geopolitical level. Uh, the transition that I start by talking about uh, is the one from uh, platforms to personalization. Uh, and in order to uh, explain that in the simplest form possible, uh, that's why you see uh, the, the visual or the picture of uh, a cube of ice. Uh, I tell the story of ice uh, and how ice used to be something that we would uh, dig out of the lakes, of the frozen lakes, and try to have that sent across uh, thousands of miles sometimes uh, in order for it to be enjoyed by people in the tropics and so on. That's actually exactly what ice used to be. But today, uh, we all enjoy ice when we want to, where we want to, and how we want to, from the refrigerator and so on. Now, how did that transition happen? And how, does, how did that transition um, transform uh, so many things that we have come to take for granted today? So what I'm saying in this book is that finance is also making that same transition. Finance today is like ice in the old days where you had to extradicate it from uh, the lakes and transport it in the most inconvenient way, uh, in, the, in the most impossible way uh, across thousands of miles to get it to where you want to. Finance today, uh, we are uh, at the mercy of inflation, of global trade flows, of bank charges, um, and of all kinds of cost elements that when money finally reaches the hand of the individual, um, it, it then uh, it loses a lot of the value uh, and, it, uh, and it, it is not in the control uh, of the individual uh, you know, who needs to use it uh, to transact value between different people, uh, different corporations and so on. This is the table of contents of the book. Um, so I start with that, uh, with the story of ICE uh, as, as a pedagogical tool uh, to be able to explain, um, you know, how the book is constructed. And then I go into all of the elements of finance as we know it to be. The institution, the balance sheet of the institution, um, the uh, how the economies of entire countries work, 
uh, and what I call to be uh, the finan financialization of everything. In other words, increasingly, we are becoming highly financialized societies, uh, not just in the West, but even in many parts of Asia, especially in the financial centers like Singapore, Hong Kong, um, and in large economies like China and India, which are becoming increasingly leveraged. Now, the financialization process uh, coupled with the digitization process is what is making finance uh, incredibly uh, disintegrated from the institutions that hold them today. Uh, and so that creates a lot of opportunities, a lot of possibilities. Um, and, um, and then I go in to talk about the new technologies that are driving that change. I try not to be, um, you know, I try not to be uh, religious about uh, technologies like cryptocurrencies and so on, but uh, to contextualize them uh, in the direction that society itself is going, which is to empower the individual. Now, um, what does that mean to all of us in the financial services industry today, especially those of us who are in leadership position? I guess the one message that um, I think that all of us uh, should uh, uh, bear in at the back of our minds is that our institutions are not going to be uh, secure uh, and are not cannot uh, function in the way that they, they that we have become accustomed to. Um, it is true that to a large extent, um, regulators, policymakers have protected the traditional bank right up to today. Uh, but that protection uh, is going to avail very little uh, as technology and society changes um, in due course. So the one message that I'd say that all of us should have at the back of our minds is the institutions that you lead are not going to be the same in the near future. And when I say that, I think that all of us already realize that, but it, the transformation is going to be far more dramatic than we realize. The balance sheet is going to change. The intermediation business is going to change. The role that the institution plays is going to change. And so these are some of the issues that I deal with uh, in this book. Um, and I hope that when the book is out next month, uh, that uh, uh, many of you will read it uh, and um, you will be able to comment on it, uh, give me your perspectives uh, and so on. Uh, one of the things about being in the United States while I complete the book, uh, in the process of completing the book, um, is that I became accustomed again uh, with uh, the reality of the United States. Um, you know, because I spent so much time in China and all of us in Asia uh, have become accustomed to uh, fast growth, uh, good economic fundamentals, wealth creation, and so on, uh, that sometimes when, well, especially when someone like me comes to the US after being away for two years, um, you see a country that has um, become uh, something like a rich little poor country, you know, in other words, there's a lot of wealth around, but if you see um, how everyday life goes on, um, you know, there is so much more that we enjoy in Asia today. But there's one area that the United States uh, still uh, leads the rest of us, and that is in the way in which it processes information at every level, uh, at the level at, of the schools that the children go to, 
at the level of the intellectual discussions that takes place in institutions and in markets as well. It's a brutal assessor of information, insights, and ideas. Uh, and I think that having completed the book in the US, um, I hope that I've captured a little bit of that tone uh, in that book uh, and a respect uh, for the fact that if you're all going to be able to um, you know, succeed in the information era, uh, then we also need to be uh, incredibly efficient processes of information, knowledge, ideas uh, in, the, in the world to come. Okay, so those are, that's uh, just a glimpse of the book, but I hope that what I just said also contributes to some of the discussions that you might be having um, after this uh, and the comments that we would like to be able to take uh, from those of you in leadership positions uh, that we can capture on video uh, and share with our uh, community uh, and uh, your own take uh, on uh, where you've led your institution and what you worry about for your institution going forward. Thank you. And thank you, Edi, for those comments. And uh, we look forward to the book, the uh, great transition. Thank you, Edi. Uh, to start our dialogue, I'd like to ask our esteemed advisor, Mr. Gordian Gerter, uh, who's very adept at crystallizing the strategic implications and imperatives from the macro and micro environment. Uh, I'd like to ask Gordian, what do you see, Gordian, as the key leadership challenges today? Thank you, Matthew. Uh, and uh, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Um, I think that uh, in times of crisis, we tend to conflate leadership with crisis management. Dealing with crisis is, is not leadership. Uh, it is crisis management. Yes, it does include some leadership requirements, but it's not leadership. To me, the biggest issue is what is leadership today in financial services? And to me, this invariably includes the word responsibility. What is the responsibility of financial institutions towards society? And for many, many decades, financial institutions did not carry a lot of responsibility. But this is changing. If you look at the world in, in the old days, leadership in financial services was having a vision, rallying your resources around that, and uh, trying to execute it in the best possible way. That today is uh, transition management. And Edie wrote a book, and I was privileged to read a few chapters. Uh, so I'm sure it's going to be interesting. Uh, thank you for that marketing speech. Um, I think that um, transition management also is only one element of leadership. And to me, I think in the dialogue, when uh, we're asking these questions that Matthew framed, you know, what are the biggest challenges? What have we learned from that? How do we see us moving into the future? I think we should also think about that the nature of leadership has changed. And why? Because the world around us has changed. People have changed. Millions and hundreds of millions of people have new aspirations and different expectations than were before. We have migration patterns we have not seen since the Middle Ages, and it could get worse. We have a climate change 
that will ensure that none of us in the next 15 to 20 years will live in the same way uh, than we live today or actually have the same uh, benefits uh, of, uh, of our environment. And the same way as, uh, as E.D. says that institutions won't be the same. And in this, uh, in this framework, we are having the polarization of big capital against small capital and the polarization of bricks and mortar, which includes people against technology. Now, leadership cannot be being everything to everybody. So to me, the real interesting part of the, about the leadership dialogue is to have a discussion in the coming years where we will no longer have the luxury simply to react to crisis, because by the time we start reacting to a climate change crisis, it will be over. We actually have to do something in advance. So one of the things that I think we should also discuss is always looking forward. Do we have a new role? Do our leaders take, have to take more responsibility towards society, not only stakeholders in the financial institutions, but towards a wider remit. So that is how I think we can maybe progress and make an interesting discussion, as opposed to talking about transformational management, or if you should be wearing masks or not to prevent the spread of COVID. Gentlemen, back to you. Great, thank you, Gaudil, for those comments, and uh, obviously, uh, looking at uh, those things that impact society, changing expectation that technology will bring, um, something that we definitely want to bring into our discussion with the leaders. And uh, we'll start out, we have your call on um, the president of Bangkok Bank, uh, Kun Chachri or Kun Tony, uh, to have his views on, uh, as we think about the nature of leadership evolving, uh, let's start by asking Kuntoni about the leadership challenges that, that he has you know, uh, uh, confronted in the last three years and the lessons that I learned from them. Uh, if we can have uh, Kuntoni uh, give us a few comments. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and it's an honor to uh, be able to uh, join this prestigious uh, session. Yes, uh, over the last three years, unlike the previous two crises in 1997 uh, and 2008. This was not a financial or liquidity crisis, but a public health and economic one. Thai banks were in a reasonably strong position to absorb the impact and were supporting customers with relief measures, which has helped reduce the damage to the economy. The corporate sector across Thailand and Southeast Asia was quite strong, with many large conglomerates having diversified operations across the region and the skill and ability, capability to adapt. These companies were more resilient and some could turn this crisis into opportunity. However, most companies and people suffer from the disruption to supply chains throughout the pandemic. While those in tourism, hospitality, and related service industry were hit hardest by the COVID restrictions and closing of borders to international travel, many were affected 
by the disruption to supply chains and logistics. Prior to the COVID pandemic, the US-China trade war and related tariffs had already disrupted global trade and key supply chains. To some extent, leading some Chinese companies to relocate production to Southeast country, Southeast Asian countries, such as Vietnam and Thailand. Once COVID hit, China is facing shipping and the global distribution of containers, created significant problems for any company or country reliant on the importing or exporting of goods. Almost everything from semiconductors, microchips, and building materials to auto parts, food, and medicine were affected. Lockdowns and restrictions on the movement of people further affect production and manufacturing, which cause further disruption to supply chain and order fulfillment. This had a big effect on economies such as Thailand, where exports account for about 60% of our GDP in 2019, while about two-thirds of import were capital goods, uh, machinery, and equipment. Tourism and related industry accounted for more than 15% of the economy. While we see the growth of delivery companies and other services that were digitally savvy and quick to adapt, to new ways of doing business under COVID. I would say supply chain issues adversely affect every business to some extent. This makes it quite a systemic issue. SME were greatly affected, but so were some of the larger, more robust and resilient corporates as these smaller businesses were part of their small supply chain and customer base. Thank you. Thank you very much, Kunchatsuri, for that. Um, can we ask you then, what do you feel are the main lessons learned from these last three years as you've been leading the bank through this extremely <laughs> difficult period? <laughs> Thank you. It reinforced the lessons of the Tom Yam Kung, the financial crisis of the late 1990s, mm. of which Thailand was the epicenter. For example, it reinforced once again the importance of not having your eggs in one basket, diversification, and prudent risk management. In terms of the long-term impact, the COVID outbreak changed the world and accelerated the deployment of online platforms, logistics and delivery systems, new digital infrastructure and rapid adoption of these services by consumers and businesses. In Thailand and Southeast Asia, we have seen digital transformation that would have been previously taken years occur within a matter of months. According to some surveys, Thailand now ranks number one in the world for banking and financial service application use, number two for mobile commerce adoption, number three for real-time transactions, and number five for QR code use. To accommodate this trend, Bank of Bank increased the varied variety of payment options available for different customer needs, from big corporates with their own websites, e-marketplace, to small merchants who sell via chat and social media. We realized we must look beyond banking and become embedded in the e-commerce digital financial ecosystem of customers by integrating with 
a wide range of platforms. Another major trend resulting from the crisis is more regionalization. Global supply chains were badly disrupted during COVID and are disrupted again now as a result of the Russian-Ukraine conflict and oil crisis. These disruptions will accelerate the trend to regionalization and changes in trade and supply chain patterns. Technology and innovation will transform traditional manufacturing and supply chains into more localized and distributed models. Banks will have a critical role to play in this way of doing business by financing trade and the supply chain and connecting it with a digital payment system that consumers use. The rich data such a system can produce will enable us to develop more customized risk-based finance that will help increase access and financial inclusion, especially for smaller companies. We also need to address issues regarding cross-border commerce. These are similar to traditional trade issues related to trust and security. Therefore, all parties, including government agencies, such as custom, customs and insurance, as well as shipping companies and banks, need to work together. At Bangkok Bank, we are looking at three key areas in particular, cross-border QR code payment, innovation to make cross-border trade more efficient, and establishing standards for e-commerce and to support interoperability. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Kung Chats, very interesting. So if I can summarize what I think you just told us, the key lessons learned were, number one, on risk. Uh, you already had the lessons learned in the Tom Yang-Kung <laughs> crisis, 97, 98, uh, so risk diversification. And number two, the acceleration of digitization, uh, which because of COVID happened much faster and embedding the bank in the digital ecosystem. And number three, because of the supply chain disruptions that we're seeing with Ukraine and so forth, that we might see an acceleration of regionalization uh, and therefore that you're trying to help your customers with their cross-border payments and trade and so forth. Is that a fair high-level summary? And I understand you've got the Excellent summary. Remarkable. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you, Kukund Chashri. Uh, Bangkok Bank has also been doing a, a very effective regionalization, have you not, Kunchatsuri? Because obviously you had acquired uh, in Indonesia. Yeah, we did that in uh, May of 2020. Uh, yes, we have been in Indonesia since 1968 with our branch operation in Jakarta, in Medan, and Surabaya. And we see that Indonesia being the largest economy in ASEAN with 270 million uh, people and good population uh, demographic pattern, young population, and also per capita income uh, of uh, plus minus 5,000 and will be rising much further. So next 20 years, we will have, be, have a very uh, good growth potential. So uh, yes, yes so we participate in the Asian economy there. We believe in the economy. And perhaps should we move to Malaysia next? Yes. Hi. <laughs> Very good. Nice to see you. We have the same questions for yourself. How do you see the 
uh, challenge, the main challenges of the last two, three years, the lessons learned, and what are you all doing to uh, manage the, these complex and difficult issues? First of all, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, as you know, I have stepped down uh, in April, but uh, thank you for having me here still. I think the, the challenges that we faced are not unique uh, to Maybank or to Malaysia or to the CEO. Uh, because um, every uh, financial institutions around the world, uh, and at least when it comes to similarity uh, in Southeast Asia, face more or less the same thing. Um, you know, uh, uh, started from the you know the the gradual uh, implementation of capital requirements, liquidity requirements arising from the 2008 financial crisis in the US and Europe, uh, which applied under Basel Three and a Half, and uh, looking at the uh, the slow growth of assets uh, just before uh, the onset of COVID to um, the introduction of uh, President Trump to the world uh, and what it means uh, to, to the rest of the world and how, how, should we, how can we expect uh, the world uh, to change and how do, we, how do we respond to it. And eventually, that eventually led to uh, the US-China uh, uh, trade relationship and diplomatic relationship that we see uh, ongoing at this point in time. Uh, plus the, the digital, um, uh, you know, the digital uh, uh, involvement in uh, increasing digital involvement in financial services uh, 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 around, around the world and the need for uh, a big old story uh, organization like a typical bank uh, to respond to it uh, and to do something about it. Uh, not necessarily an easy thing um, for, for elephant to dance, as Lou Gerstner would say, uh, but we need to find a way. And subsequently, the mother of it all, uh, at least at this point in time, uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, COVID, right? So uh, for me, I, I look at it uh, as a blessing in disguise because every single uh, uh, challenge that we face uh, has led us to where we are. Uh, in a way, for example, uh, Kuntoni mentioned about the uh, 1997 financial crisis. Uh, that has led us to where we are, meaning that we are better prepared uh, to deal with the challenges of subsequent, uh, you know, uh, uh, financial crisis yeah. or sort. Uh, and then subsequently, the 2008 uh, and the new regulatory requirement on liquidity and capital requirement has again, uh, you know, uh, help us to get to where we are, where we have, uh, you know, uh, sort of build up a lot of reserves on both liquidity and capital uh, to deal with uh, a, a crisis that came, uh, came after that. And uh, to be told, uh, even in the worst case scenario that we, we expect to come up from COVID-19 from an economic and financial standpoint, um, uh, many of the financial, uh, many of the banks, I'm sure, and certainly for Maybank, we'll be able to deal with it. Uh, we'll be able to uh, handle the liquidity uh, or the capital requirement of it. Uh, but most importantly, uh, two parts of it, because of digital uh, uh, challenges, uh, that uh, challenges and challenges that came into the sector, we had to reinvent ourselves. We had to relearn and unlearn some of the old, uh, you know, uh, skills that we have, and try to be more agile and try to have. Uh, uh, upskill ourselves in, in bringing uh, our services uh, to the customers. 
uh, in the form of a, a digital platform, in the form of uh, mobile devices or any kind of devices that you uh, that we have at this point in time and what's coming uh, in the future, uh, and that require us uh, the ability to 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 design, uh, to project manage, uh, to launch, even in the uh, in the in the long term period. So those kind of skills, uh, if the, the challenges of digital did not came before COVID mm -hmm. arrived and did not require us to change the way we do things, when COVID arrived, you might not be ready for it, but thank God yes. we were. Right? So yeah. the challenges have improved us in a way. I think to some extent, it's a blessing in disguise. But having said that, uh, you know, there are people, organizations, entities that have been affected by this, uh, by this COVID nineteen, and still ongoing. Um, I think what the 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 lesson that I learned that I would like to remind myself, and I would like to remind everyone who are perhaps listening or appear to be listening, <laughs> is that uh, the the after effect of all these changes are always a human effect. Um, you know, when we when we talk about unemployment, we talk about people who are uh, dealing with uh, uh, liability that they can't uh, service. Uh, as an uh, just a few examples, um, there must be a human way of dealing with this from a from a financial standpoint. Whether uh, and this includes regulatory uh, body as well, whether it's from an accounting perspective, whether from a, a policy on impairment. Because the impact on COVID is real and it's deep and it's long, uh, and we're still not out of it. And uh, we must provide ourselves with some flexibility to deal with this uh, as humanly as possible, uh, so that we can bring everyone up again, uh, arising from this uh, you know period that just went through, and we're still going to some extent. Thank you very much, thanks uh, Abdul Farid, uh, for the Maybank perspective there. So what we hear you saying is that, thank God we'd already started the digitization journey before COVID, because it allowed us to operate through the uh, period of home quarantines and so on. Um, also that we needed to develop new skills. It's like making elephants dance. Banks that maybe used to move slowly had to learn to move faster. And I think uh, what you're saying, Tansri, is you had to develop new skills within the bank, project management, digital transformation type of uh, areas that maybe hadn't been so important before and are becoming more and more important. So banks that are succeeding need to develop new skills. And then lastly, I hear you saying that uh, we do still need some regulatory uh, forbearance or understanding of the fact that many of our customers are still in a difficult position, particularly I think Kun, uh, Kun Tony earlier was saying about, uh, for example, the tourist sector. Uh, there are many sectors uh, that are still uh, badly affected and we don't yet really know what the full impact on the whole economy is. So you're, you're going from the micro new skills banks have to develop to the macro and how the regulators have to provide a supportive environment. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you. Uh, perhaps now we should, uh, we have uh, Mr. Raymond Siar from Canadia Bank. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a smaller economy, and we'd be interested to hear from uh, Mr. Siar. Uh, how has he seen the lessons of this rather difficult period? 
course, Cambodia is an economy which is even more dependent on tourism. As Kun Chatsri reminds us, actually, Thailand, people think it's a tourist economy. Actually, it's a huge export economy. How, how are things in, in Cambodia, Mr. Siar? Okay, good afternoon. Uh, thank you very much uh, to the Asian banker for having me here today. I think um, Cambodia certainly is not an isolated country. We're very much um, connected uh, globally to all the uh, regional economies as well as the global economy. And um, I think in terms of uh, the last two years, the pandemic has certainly had uh, impact, negative impact on the entire economy. The blessing in disguise is certainly the fact that uh, with the strong foresight of the Cambodian uh, government, the uh, inoculation or the vaccination exercise was actually started much earlier uh, compared to some of our other neighboring countries. And uh, that has certainly helped uh, overall, um, I would say, economic uh, condition uh, within the country. Uh, notwithstanding that, uh, there were also a number of initiatives launched uh, by the uh, by the government, uh, as well as supported by the regulators to actually support, like you rightfully mentioned, the uh, tourism sector, for example. I think that has certainly been uh, very negatively impacted uh, over the last uh, two years. Um, and um, ongoing exercises are still being done, right, to continue to actually support um, customers uh, as well as consumers here uh, in Cambodia. I think if you look at um, lessons learned personally over the last two years um, for myself and for Canadian Bank is would be centered very much around relevance, uh, relevance to customers. Um, and when we, when we speak about customers, it would actually be centered around external customers, the one that pays our bill, and internal customers, which is our people. Um, I think like what uh, Kun Tony had actually mentioned earlier, as well as uh, Tan Sri Farid, in terms of the acceleration of uh, digitization, that has certainly been a phenomenon that we see here uh, in Cambodia as well. And uh, for us in Canadian Bank, we continue to uh, invest in technology because we believe very strongly that that is the future. Uh, and uh, we are seeing that as a very, very uh, core uh, center in terms of continuing to be relevant to our to our customers. Uh, internally, it has also been challenging because the last two years with the lockdowns in and out, um, with uh, quarantines, for example, it has certainly been uh, challenging reaching out to my colleagues as well uh, in, in the bank, right? To our people, how do we actually keep them uh, engaged? How do we keep them motivated? Uh, and, and that has certainly also uh, taught us that we can actually leverage also on technology. However, there's only so much uh, that technology can do. There will still be instances where we still need to actually have some form of um, uh, physical interaction, right? Or at least show them that, um, you know, the leaders are there for them. The leaders actually care for their well-being. And I think that is important, um, you know, to keep to keep the people happy, right? So if you look at uh, banking, banking sector in Cambodia, it's a very congested uh, market. We have close to 60 commercial banks uh, in Cambodia. And I think it's important for us to keep our people um, engaged because uh, competition is out there, not just for customers, not just for external customers, but also for, for our people, for our internal customers. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond. That's a, a very interesting point you raised, which I, I, I think uh, we heard uh, also from Tan Sri and from 
contractory in Thailand on the importance of government and the regulators, but especially for banks keeping the engagement of the staff. Now, I don't want us to get completely hijacked with this question, but I have to ask, are you in Cambodia allowing them to work from home or have you called them all back to the office? Um, we have actually called them all back to the office. However, with um, this new wave, I've lost count whether is this the fourth or, or, or third wave, right? Uh, we are we are re-looking at that, um, you know, in terms of actually having some of our people uh, to actually work from home. Yes, I think this is one of the most difficult issues facing leaders. Generally, the CEO is at the office and uh, would like everybody to be at the office, but you've got to maintain that engagement. And I think the aspirations, particularly of young people, uh, is changing, right? And that they expect to be able to do more remote. Yes, yes. Mm. Great. Dealing with the challenges of the past three years, uh, as sort of picking up the line from Gordian, uh, dealing with the crisis, managing the crisis, um, how do leaders move forward as we come towards the end of COVID pandemic and the start of COVID uh, uh, endemic. Uh, and we face new challenges as well. So as, as COVID has come to an end, we are faced with new geopolitical tension, conflicts. It looks like crisis management isn't quite over yet. But on the horizon, there are new needs as uh, society evolves. Uh, the you know, existential reality as well with you know, climate, uh, risk and uh, and global warming and so on and so forth. How does that change uh, bank leadership? Uh, obviously, government has made a big deal of it. Paris uh, Accord and the the uh, government around the world and the banks are, are being pulled into this as well uh, in terms of uh, managing climate uh, risk, both physical risk as well as the transition risk. In the whole uh, area, I think, of sustainability, uh, which used to be something that other people talked about, and now increasingly financial institutions are being asked to play a role in sustainability. And I guess it's part of Mr. Gordian Guetta earlier was talking about responsibility and the responsibility of leaders of large financial institutions in each country. Um, a broader responsibility to society. Raymond, you're on screen, so we're, <laughs> we ask you the difficult question first. How do you see uh, priorities moving forward generally, and specifically your thoughts on sustainability, environmental and otherwise? Sure. Uh, thank you for that. I think sustainability, in terms of sustainable financing, this is certainly an important agenda uh, for bankers here in Cambodia. I think within the uh, association of banks in Cambodia, this is a very important uh, topic. In fact, we also have uh, selected committees that are actually working on this. Having said that, um, in Cambodia, this is, I would, I would still consider it uh, at its infancy. And um, notwithstanding the fact that it is an important agenda, I think it's important that we, 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 we get all the banks uh, collectively um, on, 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 this, on this route to actually move towards uh, sustainability, right? So I think this is certainly an important uh, key agenda. And uh, we are certainly within, within the Association of Banks here in Cambodia. It's, uh, it's a journey that we are taking. And uh, within, within Canadian Bank, we have actually started uh, to actually have, I would say, certain checklists in terms of our, our own loan application to actually look at uh, sustainability as one, of, uh, as one of the important criteria for our loan consideration. Mm. Thank you. And maybe we could ask uh, 
chancery buried in a bank in Malaysia? Responsibility, uh, uh, Again, you know, in 2010, uh, we rewrite our mission statement uh, to focus on humanizing financial services. And what it means is that uh, being responsible and being accountable to our stakeholders, to our shareholders, to our employees, to our, and most of all, to our customers, uh, and make sure that we, we, we do right by them. Uh, we, we did not have uh, KPI and processes uh, up until recently, uh, which again is a blessing in disguise because it allows us to bring many of those principles and intentions into uh, what is now known as ESG. Um, I think uh, you know the, the 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 reason why we need to do this is very clear to all of us. The Earth is not infinite; it's finite. Uh, population is growing, um, and uh, the usage of uh, resources making resources more expensive by the day, uh, to, to the extent that uh, the, the higher quality resources are consumed at the highest uh, uh, you know uh, uh, segment of the uh, of the customer, dragging the price up, and in doing so, dragging every single segment of it up as well to the point that people at the lower rung are not able to afford that anymore. Uh, this is an existential question for all of us. It's a challenge for us to figure it out, uh, you know, because uh, we need to be responsible to everybody, not just to the richest uh, segment of the society. Uh, we, we, we must, uh, you know, uh, try, try to find the root cause of it in my mind uh, the answer is not just in the production. The answer also is in the consumption bit. Um, uh, we need to figure out how do we consume responsibly. We can uh, uh, come to a, a situation where production can be done responsibly uh, and everything else will follow up the value chain. Uh, and, and that will address both environment and the society uh, at the same time as well. It, uh, again, like I said, it's an existential question. Uh, it is a very, very important uh, uh, question for us to figure out uh, and very exciting journey ahead uh, because at least this generation now are given the uh, responsibility to, um, uh, to, to make, a, make a dent in the universe, so to speak, uh, to, make, uh, you know, to, make, to make it right uh, for, for the society going forward. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that the financial institution is taking leadership in this by, by right, it should be, because uh, financial institutions are at the center of everything that, uh, of human, human activities, and we should be uh, the center of it. Uh, and for financial services uh, to be talking the lingo, to be, uh, you know, to be a, a, a proponent of this uh, will help in getting every, uh, hopefully every part of the community uh, to, uh, to subscribe and also to act uh, accordingly. Thank okay. you very much, yeah. Tan Sri. How, how would you uh, see this? You know, this new expectation change the definition of leadership going forward. Obviously, you know, at, at a time when you were uh, managing uh, Maybank, uh, the, the the criteria were very different. Uh, what new criteria will be more important going forward? for leaders of the future. That, that is very interesting because uh, uh, to the stakeholder that, that, that perhaps uh, believe that they're the most important stakeholder, which is the shareholders, uh, uh, maximizing return uh, uh, is very key. Um, I think this, uh, this discussion needs to happen. Uh, uh, you know, I, if you go to his, uh, 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 Harvard Business School, uh, they will tell you 
that Harvard Business School, uh, the objective is to develop leaders who are responsible and, uh, uh, and they, they themselves are responsible and what they will strive is to make responsible profits. I like that term, responsible profits. I wish that all stakeholders will subscribe to this term, making responsible profits, uh, uh, making, making it sustainable uh, for the benefit of not just you as a stakeholder, but uh, for the benefit of the society uh, at mm. large, not just now, but going forward uh, forever, hopefully. It is a challenge uh, indeed that I notice uh, a lot of the CEOs of hedge funds are, are very vocal about um, uh, ESG, but when it comes to return, they still expect uh, maximization of profits. Uh, uh, and you know, when, when we take maximization profit as a single uh, objective, then in some instances, uh, they end justifies the means. And that's not what ESG is all about. The means has to justify the end. I think we still have a long, uh, some way to go to agree on this approach. But it's definitely on the agenda uh, for Maybank and, and Malaysia. And we should ask uh, Kuntratsuri Kuntoni uh, from Bangkok Bank perspective, obviously um, a deeply responsible large institution and very important in the Thai economy. Uh, Kuntoni, your thoughts on sustainability and the broader issues of, of governance? Yes, uh, similar to what Tansi has made a remark, uh, we are so committed to responsible, uh, sustainable banking and has developed a framework for this covering investment banking, project finance, business and personal lending, and our supply chain. We have established a responsible lending policy, providing guiding principles for managing ESG risks and supporting green and sustainable businesses. On risk management, we have integrated ESG factors into our lending decision for both retail and corporate, and are developing framework and tools to systematically manage climate, climate risk. And then just on financing, we have developed our sustainable finance strategy to focus on engaging and supporting corporates to help them improve their sustainable sustainability performance and achieve their targets. Moreover, for SME, we focus on awareness raising activities to support their smooth transition towards a sustainable future. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed, Kunchatsri. So Bangkok Bank once again leading the way in Thailand. And, and thank you to all of our panelists um, for your uh, interesting and uh, thought-provoking comments on how we've dealt with the past and how we're looking towards the future. Great. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.